Hebrews 20.20, we see Jesus. Increment 141, and we'll go right to prayer. Father, please allow us to treasure your word at the center of our being, at the center of our heart, that we may not enter into the reign of sin, but rather experience the kingdom of the great king, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask this in his name, amen. I've decided to introduce an important theme at this point in our study, and it's kind of a preview of things to come. It's a salient theme and a salient motif, not only in Hebrews, but in all of the New Testament. I call it the free state of soteria, the free state of soteria. Now, God calls us to live in the free state of soteria. First of all, quidsit. What is it? What is the free state of soteria? Well, first of all, soteria means salvation. Salvation is a state or a condition of the preservation of the soul. This actually becomes explicit in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 38 and 39. But it's more than that. It's a dynamic state that involves our realization that we are loved without condition, without contingence, and without restriction by an entirely benevolent and passionately philanthropic lover. A lover who is all-powerful, everywhere and always present, and all-knowing. One who knows himself completely, one who knows us completely. Our lover is the triune God, an uncreated and limitless being who is essentially relational. The triune God exists as dynamic love, as love in essence and in act, and we could also say in relationship. So the free state of soteria is a dynamic state in which the soul of individuals and of a community for that matter is preserved by the God of love. It is a state in which one perceives, I say perceives, the love of God and then has confidence in that love. It is a state of simply abiding, abiding in God, which is abiding in love. And we know and believe in the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him.
1 John 4.16. The free state of soteria is a state of abiding in Christ as a branch abides in the vine. The branch is productive because it simply abides in the vine. Abiding is both passive and active. It is passive in that it merely remains in the vine. It is active because it bears fruit, but its production is due to the grace and power of God. It is the fruit that it bears is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The tip of the spear and the all-inclusive fruit is love. The state of soteria, a free state, allows for the expansion of the reality and truth that is Jesus himself. The one who abides in God's love loves with God's love. She lives in the three dimensions of love. Vertical, love for God. Love for oneself as the perceived object of God's otherworldly love. And horizontal love for all human beings. Now as we are carried to completion, as Hebrews 6.1 urges, we are being perfected in love. To be carried to completion and perfected in love is one thing. 1 John 2.5 compared with Hebrews 6.1. Being perfected in love means we love God totally and ourselves and all of humanity unconditionally. God's love is unconditional as his grace is uncontingent. No conditions need to exist previous to love or to evoke or to encourage God's love. No performance, act, attitude, or ritual needs to be expressed to evoke or induce God's grace. God's grace cannot be induced, and his love cannot be incited. God is love. God's essence and act is love. God is a noun, the word theos or hotheos is a noun in reference to his essence. But God is a verb in reference to his act. But his act and his essence are inseparable. God's grace cannot be induced because his love cannot be caused God's love is uncaused and is the uncaused cause of our love. The fire of God's love, and God is that fire that people fear so much, 
The fire of God's love is not ignited by human performance or merit. God is a fire of unignited love, of eternal love. God's love is never induced by human merit, nor is it diminished in any way by human demerit or sin. This is metaphorically dramatized in the Song of Songs by Solomon where it says that many waters cannot extinguish love. That's Song of Solomon 8-7. God's love, the fire of love that God is as to his essence, and the fire of God that he does as God's act, is not ignitable. It is eternal, and it is eternally. It is eternal when we use eternal as an adjective that modifies a noun. It is eternally when we use eternally as an adverb that modifies a verb. The fire that is God's love is eternal, and it is eternally. Love is not our essence as human beings, but it can be our act in Christ Jesus. We are not God, and we are not love. But if we abide in love, we abide in God. As the fire of God is not ignitable, neither is it extinguishable. The fire of God's love is inextinguishable. This fire is not quenched. Our God is a consuming fire. Hebrews 12, 29. And God is love. 1 John 4.16 Our God is a consuming fire. And God, our God, is love. Where's the contradiction? There is none. There is no contradiction between these two confessional affirmations. God consumes, but is not consumed. Fire is known by two things. It is, and it does. It is fire, it does consume. God is, and God does. He is, as to his essence, love, and the fire of love, and he does. His act is love. So anything about God's justice or judgment is part of his act of love. God is a fire that does not go out. He is love that never diminishes intensity 
It never grows cold as merely human love does when iniquity and self-interest becomes a social megatrend as it is today. Matthew 24, 12, because iniquity shall abound, that means purient self-interest, ah, or immorality, etc. When it abounds, love grows cold. God's love never diminishes its intensity and never grows old. Merely human love does when iniquity and self-interest becomes a social mega trend and when people become haters of the good and haters of the lovers of God because they are haters of God. And even when human iniquity does abound and human love cools and becomes tepid or lukewarm as the Son of Man put it to the angel at Laodicea of the church of Laodicea, even when love, human love, cools or becomes tepid, God's love never loses a bit of its boundless intensity. And even when sin abounds, as it is now in our own time, God's grace abounds much more. In his very early days, we're talking about 1935 probably, Bernard Lonergan wrote, this, no flesh may glory in the sight of the Lord, for all good has its causation, both physical and moral, in the pre-motion of Christ. We should remember this. It keeps us humble. All good has its causation both physical and moral, in the pre-motion of Christ. Have you served God effectively? It's because of the pre-motion of Christ. Have you made so-called good decisions? It's the pre-motion of Christ who is in us both to will and to do. do you, are you physically fit? Are you genetically powerful? Are you athletically talented. It is because of the pre-motion of Christ, and don't you forget it. But in the second half of that little statement, Lonergan said this, no evil can triumph, for every evil is permitted merely that good may more fully abound. Now, the moment I read that, I had to think of Romans 5.20, where sin abounds, grace abounds, super abounds, all the much more. So just as every evil is permitted, so that good may more fully abound, and you should remember that when you look around, and when you spend more than 10 minutes watching the news, you know that evil is abounding. You know that evil ideologies have reared their ugly heads. You know that Bolshevism has taken on a new form, but it's the same old Bolshevism that rules by intellectual terrorism, by distortion of truth, and by the legislation of immorality. Down to the point where even the child 
is the object of the prurient self-interest of devilish people. It's better to have a millstone wrapped around your neck and that you'd be tossed into the deepest sea than to offend one of these little ones. But just as every evil is permitted so that good may fully abound, so sin is permitted to abound, that grace may abound much more. Now, forgive me for quoting again, but I must. I usually quote people like Lonergan or Kosman or Duran or Van Hoy or Lane or Attridge or others that I'm reading because they say things better than I could say them. And I really, I look to see if I can improve, I can expand, but I can't improve on some of these quotes. In a remarkable set of sentences that encompassed a remarkable Q&A session, Lonergan also wrote this. Please, I hope you'll listen to these statements because I read them as something I've never heard before quite in this light or in this sequence. He said, Adam's sin was part of the divine plan. For God could have created a world in which there was no sin. Why then did he so create? Because the end of creation is the manifestation of the divine wisdom, the Word, capital W, in its transcendental incomprehensibility of mystery and grace. Since then, humanity is one in nature and operation. Sin in humanity is not a pure loss and absolute deficit. Rather, it is a contribution to the production of one, essentially one, greater glory of God. In then this final balancing of accounts, Christ is all things, holding the first place. Now I could expand upon those quotes almost indefinitely, and so could you, of course, because there's so much in it. But I'm relating that to how, God lo- how God's love functions even in a world where sin and evil is permitted. So when we love, it is because God loved us first. Remember, it's all the pre-motion of God mediated through Christ. When we love, it is because God loved us first. We can never be proud of our acts of love. Not if we trace their pre-motion to a source. So when we love, if we love, it's because God loved us first. More than that, when we love, it is because we have been pre-moved by God's love. Pre-moved simply means that anything that is moved is moved by another. Pre-moved by God's love. And I always have to go to Philippians 2.13 for that. It is God in you both willing 
that is pre-willing and doing, pre-moving in things that result in his pleasure. So when we love, it's because we have been pre-moved by God's love, more precisely by God's love in Christ Jesus, from which we can never be severed in Romans 8.35, or we could even say we're pre-moved by the love of Christ Jesus himself, which surpasses knowledge in Ephesians 3.19. The love of Christ controls us, and if we can say that in 2 Corinthians 5.14, as the Apostle Paul did, that means that the love of Christ pre-moves us to love. I'll say that again. The love of Christ controls us means that the love of Christ pre-moves us to love. Everything that is moved is moved by another. Only God is not moved by another, and that's why his love can't be caused, and his grace is uncontingent. Only God is not moved by another because he is the first mover. When we love authentically, and there is a love that is inauthentic, but when we love authentically, not in smarmy or sentimental expressions, but in deed and in truth, when we love authentically, unconditionally, it is because we are moved to love by the first mover. The first mover is the first lover who is God, who is love, and the Son is his beloved, and we are in him who is beloved. The first lover is God who is love, the same God who is in us, willing and doing for his own good pleasure, in Philippians 2.13. As we what? Work out our own salvation, which simply means as we live in the free state of soteria. It is in the free state of soteria that God freely moves in us. And our freedom is not just the liberty to do whatever we want. It's the power to do good through our first mover. So we've said a lot about love today and introducing the theme of the free state of soteria. We've said about a lot about love because, and the reason for that is because the free state of soteria is a dynamic state of love. You can't separate the two. The free state of soteria is a dynamic state of love. Now, if God loves us without conditions, we are free to love others without conditions. If our love had conditions, it would not be a free love. We would be bound by conditions. We would hate some. We would wish others harm. We would want people to go to hell. That's not love, obviously. It's not God's love. It's not any kind of love. The dynamic state of love is love in three dimensions, two primary dimensions, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Really, there are three dimensions there. There's love for God, that's total. There's love for your neighbor, but it's a love for your neighbor as you love yourself, meaning you first have to recognize yourself as an object of God's unconditional and contingent and unrestricted grace and love. So when you love yourself, it's a non-narcissistic love altogether. We're not talking about self-love. We're talking about the love of oneself that is non-narcissistic, non-self-interested. And yet, it's a love that brings an unspeakable joy and full of glory. So, love in three dimensions. Love for God, vertical, non-narcissistic love for oneself, inward, and love for all others, and even for all of creation. The state of soteria is a free state because God loves us freely, as Hosea 14.4 says. If love is without condition and without limit, then love is free. God is free. God's love is freely given. It must be freely received. It is freely reciprocated and freely given. The free state of soteria is free. And it's a free state because God loves us freely. The free state of soteria is free because wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 2 Corinthians 3.17 And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, he is pouring forth the love of God. He is in our hearts. And there he pours out the love of God in Romans 5.5. That's what produces the spiritual conversion. Where we assign the highest priority to God's love. We hear so much today. I heard an athlete, an Olympic hopeful, What does winning the Olympics mean to you? It means everything to me. It means the world to me. What does your family mean to you? My family means everything to me. My house means everything to me. My success means everything to me. Christ means everything to me. After a spiritual conversion, you can't say family is everything, money is everything, success is everything, the environment is everything. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is authentic 
unfeigned love, 2 Corinthians 6, 6. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is grace. He is called the Spirit of grace in Hebrews 10, 29, the Spirit of the New Covenant. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is the free state of soteria. It is for freedom that Christ liberated us. He liberated us for freedom. He freed us for freedom. He freed us to live in the free state of soteria. Galatians 5.1. We could say that Christ saved us for freedom. Freedom meets love as righteousness and peace kiss each other in the free state of soteria. This is shown in Galatians 5.1. Christ has freed us into freedom. That's into the free state of soteria. Stand fast. And don't allow yourselves to bear a yoke of slavery ever again. Including a yoke of slavery to guilt by new theories based on racist hatred. And ressentiment. And in Galatians 5.13, it says, For you are called to freedom. What did I say at the very beginning? God calls us to live in the free state of soteria. You are called to freedom. Siblings, only not freedom for a base of operations for the flesh. Instead, through love, serve one another. Christ didn't free us to be enslaved all over again. He freed us to live in the free state of soteria, which is a dynamic state of love in which we serve others gladly, joyously, self-forgettingly. Just as self-absorption is the reason for the worst kind of neurotic and even psychotic misery, so self-forgetting is one of the great causes of true joy and peace. This is a love we're talking about that does not neglect others on the one hand, or patronize them as objects for our control, on the other hand. It is a love that serves others in imitation of the suffering servant of Yahweh. Spoken of so freely and frequently in Isaiah 40 through 55. It is a love that serves others in imitation, rather also in participation with the suffering servant of Yahweh by being controlled and pre-moved by his love through the Holy Spirit. 
the kind of so-called freedom it's often spoken of by people who say I'm a free spirit the so-called kind of freedom that has a base of operations in the flesh which means freedom to indulge the flesh is not freedom at all it's a new kind of slavery it's another yoke freedom in the true sense of the word is not liberty to engage in any kind of immorality or purely self-interested behavior that I want to indulge in. Freedom is the power to do good. And that's why freedom is linked to love. Authentic love, authentic freedom is linked to real love. The kind of love that serves others, that lays aside its own selfish interests to serve others. Not just the saints, but all who belong to Christ. And let me say this, all people already do belong to Christ. Even if they don't know it yet. That's a reality that will become more and more clear as we teach this series. The kind of freedom that has a base of operations, as it's called in Galatians 5.13, a base of ops in the flesh. And the flesh here is spoken of as a, an eschatological enemy of the believer, a suprahuman enemy. So the kind of freedom that has a base of ops in the flesh is just another yoke of slavery. Christ didn't free you to be bearing a yoke of slavery again. Just as freedom results from the knowledge of the truth that is embodied in God's Son. That's John 8, 32, 8, 36, Ephesians 4, 21, John 14, 6, etc., just as freedom results from the knowledge of the truth that is embodied in God's Son, so freedom is inextricably linked to the love of God and does not exist. Let me say this with emphasis. True freedom does not exist outside of the dynamic state of love. Christians are taught, we've all been taught, at least most of those who I'm speaking with today can say this probably, we've been taught that being saved is a positional thing. And that's true, we are positioned in a salvation, we are hid with Christ in God, we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But that's not the whole truth, nor is that the ultimately satisfying truth. It's true that being saved means that we are positioned or permanently stationed in Christ in heavenly places. And it's a secure salvation, of course. But it's equally true that there is a state 
of salvation, where there is an experience of freedom and a production of love. Now, you may wonder how this fits into a study of Hebrews. To answer that, go to Hebrews 6.9. And we're jumping ahead a little bit. I still have some things I want to treat in 1 through 8. But let's look at Hebrews 6.9. To answer your wonder about you wondering where this fits in Hebrews 6, here it is, Hebrews 6, 9, and 10, my translation. Now, even though we're speaking in this rhetorical manner, the author is speaking in a rhetorical, we're going to find out that, in fact, Hebrews 6, 4 through 8, or 6, 4 through 6 especially, isn't even a warning intended for the readers of this homily. And I'll show you why. It's not intended for you either, the audience today, the listeners here today. Although, of course, it has some applications. Now, even though we're speaking in this manner, meaning he was speaking in a rhetorical manner when he presented the harsh and severe warnings of Hebrews 6, 4 through 6, which in the dispatch note, if it was written by Paul, Paul said, bear with that word of warning. Bear with it because it's not meant for you, but just bear with it because the real intention of sending Hebrews to you is not a warning as much as it is a teaching of a Christological priesthood. A, let's call it a priestly Christology. In many ways, Hebrews is really the capstone of Scripture. You say you've said that about Revelation. I have. I say it about Hebrews. And again, I'll demonstrate that down the road. Hebrews 6, 9, and 10. Now, even though we're speaking in this rhetorical manner, we're completely persuaded in your case of the better things even the things that belong to salvation, soteria, the things that belong to salvation. In other words, you can't use Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 to teach <coughs> preacher, evangelist, television evangelist, teacher, pastor, rabbi, cardinal, monsignor, bishop, priest, pastor, teacher, Sunday school teacher, pope. You can't teach Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 as a so-called proof for the loss of salvation when the things that accompany salvation are entirely different from the fact that it could be lost. If anything, Hebrews 6, 4 to 6, if you turn it into the way that God has directed it, is a proof that you can't lose your eternal salvation. Because it all ties into the once and for all and forever sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which means there's no other way to be saved or restored. Well, we'll go on to that later. Let me read this again. Hebrews 6, 9. Now, even though we're speaking in this manner, we're completely persuaded, in your case, of the better things, even the things that belong to salvation. So to read verse 10, for God is not unjust. That's a message in itself. Maybe it'll come up later. Not today. 
God is not unjust to neglect your work and what? what? The love you showed for his name when you served the saints and you're still serving them. The free state of soteria is a state, a dynamic state of love in which we serve the saints and keep serving them. I think the main service that we serve the saints with is prayer. Although there are obviously many other ways to serve. Today, I hope I'm serving you. I hope I'm serving you. We preach Christ Jesus and not ourselves. We preach Christ Jesus as Lord and not ourselves. But we preach ourselves as your slaves for Christ's sake. We are your servants. If a pastor doesn't have the mentality of a servant, he's out of line, he's out of whack, he's out of rank. But God has a way to humble him, and it's not you that's going to do it. It's God that's going to do it. He might use you, however. Now, the writer-preacher does not consider his audience to be apostates in need of a fiery purification because he sees them in the state of soteria and serving the saints in love. On this, Ernst Kasemann wrote, quote, Now the section in 6, 9, and following takes on meaning in which the hope is maintained that despite all, the community stands in soteria. Here he uses the actual Greek word in Greek, unsels, in his quote, S O T. E-R-I-A. Soteria. Now, if we do this in the English uncles, then it becomes S. And then O, the omega O has this long line over it because it's pronounced O. And if it was just an Omicron O, it would be our short O, saw. Sote, the E, the eta E also is we would put this line over it in the English uncles because it's pronounced A-Y-A, whereas the epsilon E is more like our short E. So, soteria, the accent falls here, soteria. We're getting kind of a thorough working out of the free state of soteria. I'm going to tell you something. Free is a word that I don't take for granted. I personally gave much thought on June 6th this past year to the 77th anniversary of D-Day. Even though our president failed to mention it, I was thinking of it. The D-Day invasion and how so many young lives were snuffed out that day and extinguished because they served by a genuine love, a love for other people. Some for a love for God, no doubt. Some for a love of the friends back home. Some for the love of an idea called America. Some for an idea called freedom. But they gave their lives. I celebrate this. I celebrate it in my heart. I celebrate July 4th, not as a sparkler day 
and a hot dog day, but as a day of independence and freedom. Freedom that is under the most dire threat in our country now as it ever has been in its 200 plus years. Because of people that are caving and bowing into a Bolshevik system that insists on immorality as a way of degrading a nation so that it's easily conquerable. And a Bolshevism that involves intellectual terrorism that they want to start right with our children by heaping the violence of remorse into their soul for just being who they are. Or the violence of victimhood into their soul just because of who they are. Consigning them to a hell, an ideologically based hell. Hellists aren't just religionists. They aren't just preachers that believe in hell. There's left-wing ideologues believe in hell and consigning children to it the moment they tell them they're oppressors because they're white or victims because they're black. There's a lot of lack of freedom today. There's a lot of intellectual terrorism today. Don't you come under that yoke. Because if you come under that yoke of slavery, you are being enslaved all over again. And Christ didn't free you to be put under the yoke of haters and vicious people who are filled with murder, like that recent woman who spoke at Yale and talked about how she fantasized shooting white people in the head with a revolver. She's filled with murder. She's filled with murder. And this is the kind of people that want to steal the freedom of whites and blacks and browns and Asians and everyone else because they want to set themselves up as the intellectual oligarchs in our time. And those are the only people that ever stay free from oppression is the oppressors themselves in Bolshevism, Marxism, communism, socialism, which is communism in its first disguised form a form that's pleasant to idiots and people who become the useful idiots for a terroristic tyranny. I said many years ago that there's two towers that we need to be aware of in history, twin towers. I'm not speaking of the twin towers in New York. I'm talking about the twin towers of terrorism and tyranny. And I said then, and I'll say it again today, tyranny is worse. Don't let yourselves be hooked up under a yoke of slavery, any kind of slavery, including the kind of slavery that heaps guilt on you for just being who you are. All right, that's just a preacher's aside and hope it helps you and there's no charge for it. So as we wind down to our end of our introduction to this theme of the free state of Soteria, I'll say this again. Cosman wrote, Now the section in 6, 9 and following takes on meaning in which the hope is maintained that despite all, the community stands in Soteria. So the work of love and service practiced by the recipients takes on significance as an index of their Christian status. Now, I would say it this way. We know that we're in the dynamic state or the free state of soteria because we are in the dynamic state of a serving love. So the PT assures his readers 
Now, I'm going to show you something later, again, not today perhaps, but the PT is actually doing the work of an evangelist. What is an evangelist, you say? Someone who evangelizes the lost? No. The word evangelist in Ephesians 4, 11 to 12, in its key placement in Scripture, is part of the group of men who build up the church, the edifying of the church. It's different from a mission, missions, is different from evangelism. Evangelism is different from missions. Some have the gift of evangelism. All have the mandate of mission. Mission does not belong to a special class of people called missionaries. All Christians are part of the apostolate, the sent ones, and the missionaries in this world who participate in the mission of the Holy Spirit which is an extension of the mission of the Son. It's a salvific mission. So there's a distinction of our consciousness that we need to maintain, a differentiation of consciousness. So introducing another thing, but let's, fi let's finish this introduction to the free state of soteria. The PT assures his readers that they are in a state of soteria. And that's what he wants to say above the rhetorical speech of 6, 4 through 8. It's a state characterized first by enlightenment. We can actually turn 6, 4 through 8 on its head and show what God really intends is to show what the free state of soteria involves. It involves first enlightenment, a state characterized by enlightenment. Enlightenment is the result of receiving light from God who is light. And who is love, 1 John 1, 5 and 4, 8. And light from Jesus, who is the light of the world, in John 8, 12. Enlightenment is the way that God uses to roll back the rolling blackout of the soul, which is the false ideologies and false doctrines that cause people to be overcome and enslaved. Enlightenment is the act of the spirit of grace, <clears throat> who illumines the hearts <clears throat> and minds of those who receive the word. <clears throat> the exposition of God's word gives light. <clears throat> I'll say that again. Enlightenment is the act of the spirit of grace who illumines the hearts and minds of those who receive the word of their salvation, at which time they are sealed by the promised Holy Spirit and baptized into an organic solidarity with Christ Jesus. The state of soteria is characterized by the experience of the heavenly gift of God's own love, which is poured out into the heart by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Soteria is consequently a dynamic state. It's the dynamic state of love in which one comes to perceive the love of God for oneself and then to have confidence in that love for oneself and for others. The dynamic state of love includes love for God just as much a gift of, as the love of God. I'll say that again. The dynamic state of love includes love for God, which is just as much a gift as the love of God for us. In other words that one is loved by God and loves God is all part of the one gift of God's own love. 
Included in that gift is also the dynamic of God's love for all of humankind. In the dynamic state of love, also known as, a.k.a., the free state of soteria, persons become companions of the Holy Spirit. I'm actually exegeting Hebrews 6, 4 through 8 in a sneaky way here. They become companions of the Holy Spirit who guides them into the whole realm of the truth that is embodied in Jesus. John 16, 13, Ephesians 4, 21, John 14, 6. That truth in Hebrews is specifically the truth of Jesus as our great age-abiding archpriest, the founder and source of our age-abiding salvation, the author and completer of our faith and faithfulness, and our forerunner who has entered for our benefit into the heavenly region behind the second curtain in the heavens. The state of soteria is one in which we keep tasting the good word of God, and by it we keep experiencing the benevolent kindness of God. The state of soteria in time is the dynamic state, a foretaste of the dynamic state of love that is the norm in future world. Now, I'm going to go a little overtime today to express these final things because I want this to be held together as a single doctrine. It's going to go overtime. Do we have enough time and room on the recording device? Emery? Thumbs up from Emery. Thank you kindly. So people who gather together to listen to these messages, I love that you're doing that. Or people that are alone listening to these messages, you might want to do this in two sessions, but it's one message. I'm pouring everything out into this because I want this, again, to hold together as a solidarity. Essential to this dynamic state is conversion or conversions. Negatively, the main conversion, a psychic conversion, for example, involves a renunciation of resentment. Resentment is a hatred and a resentment of others based on their perceived privilege or advantages or talents. In other words, someone looks at someone who has a talent or a perceived privilege that they don't have or a perceived so-called superiority that they don't have. And so instead of recognizing that God has gifted some with some kinds of things, they hate the person. And they consider their giftedness or their talent as something evil. And that's resentment. It's a hatred and resentment of others really rooted in impotence and frustration in which the hater hates others based on the hater's perceived privileged advantages in the others or talents, talents in others. There's another German word, this one a German word, schadenfreude, is also renounced. Schadenfreude takes pleasure in the misfortunes or suffering of others. That's renounced in conversion, especially the psychic conversion and, of course, the spiritual conversion. Positively, conversion refers to the sensibility, leads to the sensibility leading to discerning awareness and merciful and sympathetic responsiveness to the histories, the orientations, the cultures, and the feelings of others. The state of soteria is a free state. 
It is the experience of the freedom for which Jesus manumitted us from slavery to sin and to the tyranny of the present evil age, which tries to force us into its mold. We may call our salvation the free state of soteria. In Hebrews, in particular, the free state of soteria is a state of sanctification in which Jesus, who sanctifies, and those who are sanctified by him are in solidarity, unity. They are of one entity. The free state of soteria is a salvific state of solidarity. That's where we're going to move into new territory. It's a salvific state of solidarity. It is experienced communally on the fifth level of human consciousness. It's on that level that God intends the church of the firstborn, Hebrews 12.23, to operate. This is where the state of soteria is optimally experienced. It's what I call the state of or in the city of Uranopolis. It is on this level that we serve one another by love rather than use our liberty as a base of ops for purely selfish ends and for personal satisfactions over lasting values. Again, and this is it, finally, the free state of soteria is maintained through continuous conversions, I'm repeating. The church and the individuals in it are only effective in its mission by being continually converted itself, not converting the world, but being converted to be missionaries to the world. There is a distinction between evangelism and mission. Please note that. Please note that. You, some of you may not have heard this before. There's a distinction between evangelism and mission. Evangelism is an act which is for the edification and outfitting of the church for service, just like a pastor, teacher, an apostle, and a prophet. Ephesians 4:11 to 12. By that definition, Hebrews is largely the work of an evangelist done by a pastor. Mission, however, on the other hand, is the church's participation in the salvific mission of the Spirit, the second divine mission, and he is called the Spirit of the Son in the world. In mission, and please note this, don't lose me in the last seconds, in mission in which we all participate, and not just a class of people called missionaries, we participate in the most divine of all acts, as it's called by, I think Thomas Aquinas said it, in the Latin, divinorum operum omnium divinissimum deo cooperare in salvatione animarum. Can't remember from my altar days, altar boy days, how to pronounce that, but here's what it means. The most divine of all acts is to cooperate with God in the salvation of souls. Father, may that be our act. May that be our participation. May we participate together and as co-laborers with God, participate in the salvation of souls with God. What a glorious and wonderful privilege and indeed the most divine and divinely pre-moved acts of all. Grant us this privilege. Grant us this service. Grant us success in this mission. 
for we ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.